Welcome to Alabama Short Stories, when you're a little behind on your Alabama history. I'm your host, Sean Wright. The end of the world has come more times than we can count. I'm always surprised that doomsday cults can keep recruiting people when their predictions fail time and time again. There have been some serious incidents that legitimately get people nervous about the end of the world. Plagues, pandemics, wars, the list goes on and on. In the late 1990s, we were looking at another end-of-the-world crisis. It went by many names, the Millennium Bug, the Year 2000 Problem, or what most of us called it, Y2K. January 1st, 2000 was when the computers were going to rise up and exact their revenge on us. Now, it seems that when early computer programmers wrote a new computer language, they didn't think about what would happen when the calendar went from the 1900s to the 2000s. They did not consider that one day, 19 in the year would switch to 20. Even our checkbooks at the time had the 19 printed in the date area, so all we had to do was think about the last two numbers. Typing in the 19 was not needed for computer programmers, so typing only the last two numbers of the year saved them keystrokes and time. Only as we got closer and closer to the year 2000 did someone start asking the question, what's going to happen to the computers when the year 2000 comes around? Programmers sprang into action. A lot of time and money went into preparing for the Y2K bug. Computer code was rewritten for programs that companies had been using for years. Retired programmers made out like bandits when they were enlisted to come back and rewrite the code. They were the only ones that knew how to write these older programming languages, such as COBOL. Younger programmers had never needed to know those languages and wouldn't need to know them in the future. All sorts of predictions were made. What was going to happen if they didn't fix it? As with any end-of-the-world type situation, some people got hysterical. People were acting like our personal computers were going to rise up and become our robot overlords. Whenever I think of Y2K or robot overlords, I always think of The Club, a private dinner club located on Red Mountain. The Club was opened in 1947 by Robert S. Smith and a group of investors. Smith, executive secretary at TCI, was in charge of providing entertainment, food, and lodging for visiting U.S. Steel executives. He wanted to show the visiting executives the best Birmingham had to offer and this led to the idea of starting this private dining club. The original location for the club was to be on Shades Creek Parkway on the other side of Homewood. There were some zoning problems with that location that made building there less than ideal. The project architect was able to convince founder Robert Smith to reconsider the idea of building on the crest of Red Mountain to take advantage of the scenic views. Now, in a way, Homewood zoning laws was a gift for the club. Today, Robbins and Morton currently occupies that land on Shades Creek Parkway, while the club enjoys a fantastic view of Birmingham, instead of a view of the Shell Station. Growing up in Homewood, the club was always an enigma to me. The entrance was just off Valley Avenue on the Homewood side of Red Mountain. The large columns and iron gates gave it an air of mystery and exclusivity. 
you could see the building perched on the crest of Red Mountain from downtown Birmingham. Now, my parents were not members, so the opportunity to go there never came up when I was younger. During the 1990s, I had the opportunity to attend events at the club. I went to business meetings and wedding receptions there. I even attended a grand gala celebrating Birmingham's participation in the 1996 Olympics. Now, my wife and I got married on June 19, 1999, and we had our reception at the club. The wedding date was chosen due to the availability of the ballroom. We were in love and optimistic about the future, even though the end of the world was less than six months away. Now, later that year, we attended the annual New Year's Eve celebration at the club. Our table was located in the ballroom where the club's older clientele enjoyed celebrating the new year. Sitting amidst the tuxedos and ballroom gowns, my friend said he felt like we were on the Titanic. We settled into a night of merriment with friends. A big band was playing old standards as partygoers tried to remember how to waltz or do their best imitation of it. Behind the band were four huge numbers, each probably 15 feet tall, that spelled out 2,000. About 30 minutes before the stroke of midnight, the last zero fell from its wire. It rolled over in the space behind the band, turning 2,000 into 200. It was the first sign of the apocalypse. The drinks continued to flow as midnight came closer. As the countdown to midnight was called out, guests started to move towards the large floor-to-ceiling windows that overlooked Birmingham. If you were going to watch the end of the world, there was no better vantage point than the club on Red Mountain. Five, four, three, two, one, and nothing. Nothing happened. No lights flickered. Computers didn't rise up and destroy the city. Planes didn't fall out of the sky. Either this preparation and teeth gnashing were all for nothing, or what I like to think, everyone had done their job and turned Y2K into a non-event. Through the whole thing, the band kept playing, just like they did on the Titanic. The party wrapped up and everyone went home. The year 2000 started just like every other year. Since 2000, life as we know it has gone on. There have been events since then that make Y2K seem a little silly, but at the time it was all-consuming. Businesses have since turned their attention to the business at hand, and the club is still serving its noticeably younger members, and my wife and I continue to celebrate wedding anniversaries. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Alabama Short Stories. If you enjoyed the story, there are a couple of ways you can help the podcast. The first is to tell a friend about the podcast. The second is to buy some merchandise from our store or donate to the podcast. You can find links at alabamashortstories.com. You can listen to the podcast on the website or wherever you prefer to listen and subscribe to podcasts. See you next time at Alabama Short Stories.